I spent a lot of time as a kid watching sitcoms and old TV shows. I say old, quote unquote. They weren't that old. Some of them were black and white, but I watched them on Nick at Night when I was growing up. And one of my favorites was Bewitched. Every now and again, I see a little bit of that cute little old neighbor lady in my wife. Every time she stands at the window, staring out at the neighbors across the street. Gladys Kravitz is her name, if you don't remember. Every now and again, she'd see something strange happening outside, and she'd run in, and she'd say, Abner! She'd tell Abner all the things that were going on, and Abner, of course, never saw the weird stuff that was happening. It was only her, it seemed like. And, you know, I'll find Sherilyn in the living room. Well, did you know the neighbor hasn't moved his truck in a day? I'm like, well, okay. <laughs> no, but sometimes we're, we're keeping an eye on the neighborhood, and, and, and that's a good thing. I think, though, for some of us, we find ourselves in the comparison game, where it's easy for us to look around at the neighbors across the street. It's easy for us to kind of look at the, the people in situations that we sort of aspire to, we want to be like them, and we compare ourselves from time to time. And it's just natural. I don't know if, if you're like me. I think you've done it probably. I, I do it. You look around at people and you say, well, you know, if only my, my child was as well-behaved as their child, or, or, you know, oh, well, if, if only I had a bigger house like they have, or, oh, if, if only my bank account looked like that person's bank account. Then and only then would I be happy. I, I, I don't think maybe we've said it in those words, but I, I do think comparison helps us kind of feel like this is where we want to go, but we're not there yet. And look at all these people around us who have these things. Oh, you know, I wish I could have a child, but I can't. And, and these people over here, who they have 17 children, and I, I, I wish I could just have one of theirs, you know. If you've been in that place where you've been sort of comparing your life to other people's lives, it is, a, it is a real thief of joy. Sean did a lesson not too terribly long ago called Debt, the Thief of Peace. So I'm going to take a, a lesson out of Sean's book, and I'm going to do a lesson called Comparison, the Thief of Joy. Comparison really is the thief of joy in so many cases. In so many cases, we could be happy, we could be content, we could be okay with where we are and what's going on and how God has blessed us with, but we stand in front of the window and we look around metaphorically into the lives of other people around us and we compare ourselves to them and say, well, if I, if I only had what they had, then maybe I would be happy. It's a dangerous thing for us to get ourselves into, but I will, I will guarantee you that we've all been there. In one way or another, we've all looked at someone else's life from time to time and said, if only I had that, if only things were better, if only things were different. And it's a dangerous game that we play when we do that because comparison really does rob us of joy. We could be happy, we could be content, but instead, we're envious. Instead, we're covetous. Instead, maybe we're jealous. Or we look around and we, we just want things to be different. And I think we need to have kind of a, a different mindset. The big idea in this lesson is that we find true happiness when we accept 
God's direction for our life. God directs us. He's the one who defines what our life is going to be. And when we settle into that, when we accept that, then we find happiness, not when we strive to live like other people. When we look around and we just try to think like our, our main motivation is to be like others, to live like other people, to fit in, to have what everyone else around us has, we're never really going to find happiness there. Because I guarantee you, once you get to the place where you wanted to be, there will be another milestone in the, ahead of you that you're not there yet either. You might say, well, I, I just want 100,000 followers on social media, like my friend has. My friend has 100,000 followers on social media. And so you, you work so hard to get there, and you get those 100,000 followers, and then now it's 200,000 followers. Now you want more. It never ends. And comparing yourselves to other people really is never going to bring true happiness. The source of true happiness comes when we settle into what God has planned for us. So that's what I want to talk about this morning for just a little bit. Let's maybe focus, though, for a few minutes on why comparison is so bad. What is the problem? What's, what's the big deal, Brian, with standing at the window, looking around at all the people around me and all my neighborhood and, and just dreaming? There's nothing wrong with dreaming. There's nothing wrong with wanting something. Well, you go to Genesis chapter 30, as we've just gotten done studying in, in our recent Bible classes, and you see Rachel. Rachel, who you will remember, wanted children but couldn't have them. I mean, this is real life stuff, by the way. This isn't just like Old Testament Bible times. If you and your wife, you and your husband have ever sat around the kitchen table saying, I want to have kids, but we've tried and we can't. If you've ever had that conversation, know that I've been there too. And know that Rachel was there. She was right there too. She wanted to have kids, but she couldn't. And in fact, she said she wanted to die. She said she would be better off if she wasn't alive than, than to be without kids. She, she was so discontent. She was not happy about not having children. You go to 1 Samuel chapter 1, Hannah is a great example of this. Hannah, in 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 1, there was a certain man of Remethim Zophim of the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, the son of Jehoram, son of Elihu, son of Tohu, son of Zuf, an Ephrathite, who had two wives. The name of one was Hannah, and the name of the other was Peninnah. Peninnah had children, but Hannah had no children. And you find out this rivalry between them, where Peninnah was basically just jabbing it in in Hannah's mind all the time that I have kids and you don't. And Hannah would weep because of this. She would provoke her, grievously irritate her because she had closed her womb. In verse 6, year after year, she went up to the house of the Lord, and therefore Hannah wept and would not eat. And Elkanah, the, the loving husband, swoops in and, and says, well, why do you cry? Why do you not eat? And why is your heart sad? Am I not more to you than ten sons? Nope. <laughs> Sorry, husbands. You're not going to fit the bill. Elkanah was not able to take care of the situation because Hannah, Hannah wanted children. And compared to her rival, Peninnah, she didn't have them. And then we find ourselves in 1 Samuel chapter 8, which not very far after this example was the children of Israel basically doing Kind of a similar thing, not about children, but about a king. They wanted a king. They wanted a king, in fact, because they wanted to be like all the nations around them. You know that they forgot 
they had the best king they could ever have. They already had the king, the king, capital K, king. They had the father of lights. They had the Lord of Lord as their king. Yet they rejected God as being the king, saying, give us a king to judge us because we want to be like everyone else around us. They compared themselves. They looked at themselves. The children of Israel did. They looked around and said, oh, we just want to be like everyone else. Well, that's not, not happiness. That's not contentment. They had something amazing. They had something great, but they rejected it. And we can do the same thing. When we compare ourselves, it just erodes. It chips away at our contentment because it highlights what we don't have and it puts on the roadmap something that we could have but that we don't have now and so we define happiness maybe by getting that thing whatever it is and that's dangerous because we'll never be happy if we're always just pushing and pushing and pushing for the next thing on the horizon a lot of people work like this by the way a lot of people spend their life just busily working all the time so that they can get more things, do more things, go more places, fill up their bank account, and always pushing and pushing and pushing and pushing, never happy, never content. And it's not to say that we shouldn't have a growth mindset where we want to be better, we want to follow the Lord more dearly, more sincerely, but we certainly don't need to, to want for what other people have so much that it just causes us to become unhappy. But it also blinds us to our purpose. I think this is really sort of the focus of what we, what we need to get out of this lesson is that we have a purpose. God has a purpose for us. You may not know what that purpose is yet. You may not understand what your role in God's work is yet, but you have a purpose. And, and if God wants something from you, like there in 1 Samuel chapter 8, God wanted a relationship with his people. He wanted to lead his people. The purpose he had set out was to lead his people, and they, well, they didn't want any of that because they wanted to be like everyone else. And it blinds us, I think, to our purpose there in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God has defined for us what good works look like. God has defined for us what, what our role, our mission in life is to be. And if all we ever do is sit around and look at what everyone else has, then I think it blinds us to what God wants from us. Where does God want us to go? Does God want us chasing what someone else has? Does God want us chasing the lifestyle that, that our neighbor has? Or does God want us to walk humbly with him? I think the answer is clear. I think God wants us to walk humbly with him and to just stop getting so distracted by what everyone else has and really, more importantly, what we don't. And so it blinds us to our purpose, but I think it also feeds our pride. Com comparison feeds our pride because we start to look around at other people. We start to just see what everyone else does not have, and we start to see what we have, and we start to hold ourselves up as a, well, as a pretty important example of someone who's amazing, someone who's awesome. You can't think of, of this comparison feeding our pride without thinking about it, Luke chapter 18, where in verse 11, the Pharisee standing by himself prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. 
I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. The Pharisee, comparing himself to the tax collector, thought he was pretty great. Lord, thank you that I'm not like this other person around here. So comparison, maybe you're not comparing yourself so that you could have what someone else has. Maybe you're just comparing yourself to say, oh yeah, I'm better than that. At least I'm not as bad as that guy. I, we may not have ever said that, but I think we've all said that. In our hearts, maybe in our thoughts, our actions, maybe we've looked at other people and said, well, I mean, you can't fault me because look at him. Look at, look at what he's doing over there. At least I'm not as bad as that guy. That's a dangerous thing to say. And that's what comparison does. Comparison helps us look around at everyone else just to feel better about ourselves. It's not never going to lead us to positive change and growth. Galatians chapter 6, verses 3 and 4, Paul says, For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone, and not in his neighbor. You don't get to boast because your neighbor has a Maserati. I mean, you might say, well, I live in a nice part of town because my neighbor has a Maserati. But that's not really anything to boast about, necessarily. We don't get to boast in what other people do. We don't get to have pride over what other people do. And when we sit there and look around and compare ourselves to everyone else around us, it can just build us up, puff us up, and make us feel better than other people. So you're starting to see where comparison is really a dangerous, a dangerous game. It's not, it's not just a, oh, well, that's fine for, fine for you guys. You, it's not a big deal. No, it's, it's a serious thing. We, we're no longer happy. We forget about what God wants us to do, and we just become maybe prideful and arrogant about how well we have things and, and what's going on in our life. So comparison may be difficult for us, and we've all struggled with it, I'm sure, but God wants us to have peace. That's an important thing for us to remember. We talked about in our Bible class from Luke, or sorry, Matthew chapter 6, where Jesus is talking about anxiety, and he's talking about how you know, we need to not be so worried and anxious about things because God's going to take care of us. God wants us to have peace. He wants us to have a blessed life where, where we don't want for things. We don't rush after the pleasures of this world. We're not driven by materialism. We're not driven by, by what's going on in, in everyone else's life. God wants us to have peace. He wants us to settle in to him and a relationship with him. And again, we talked about from Job, how if Job had lost everything, which it, it appeared that he had, if Job had lost everything, if he still had a relationship with God, could he still be at peace? Absolutely, he could have. God wants us to have peace, and that peace comes through a relationship with him, ultimately. But Proverbs chapter 14, verse 30 says, A tranquil heart gives life to the flesh. But envy makes the bones rot. Isn't that true? Isn't it true? The more you envy, the more you look at what everyone else around you has, the more it just kind of eats away at you from the inside. Your support structure, your bones are weakened. You don't have any, you don't have root anymore. But a tranquil heart gives life to the flesh. What does it mean to be tranquil in the conversation that we're having right now? What does it mean for you to be at peace and to, and to find tranquility in your life. It means you can be content with what you have. 
It means you can be okay with the situation in your life. I know you're thinking about a particular passage. We'll get there, don't worry. It means that you can just look around and you don't have to define what is good and what is right and what is successful by what everyone else around you has. And it's, it's hard because we live in a, in a society. We live in a civilization. We live with people, right? You are with people all the time. And paraded on display in front of your eyes all the time is what people have and what they're doing, what they're driving, what their house looks like, what their bank account looks like, what they're wearing. You see it all the time, and it's hard to have that stuff thrown in your face and not be impacted by it. But God wants us to be at peace. He wants us to be settled, knowing that he'll take care of us, no matter what comes our way. And so, we also understand that envy, jealousy, and covetousness are what really separate us from God. They can separate us from God. You think about that story of Simon the sorcerer there in Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8, verse 22, we see how Simon was really envious. He was envious because he saw that other people had this ability that he did not himself have. And he wanted it. He wanted to be able to, to do these amazing signs and miracles, and he offered them money. He offered the, the disciples money so that he could be able to, to have this. And Peter said in verse 20, May your silver perish with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours and pray to the Lord that, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and the bond of iniquity. He was living a bitter life. He was full of envy. He wanted what other people had. He was not content with his own life and his own situation in life. And he was just pushing to have what everyone else had at that time. And that really separates us from God. Apparently, Peter made it such a point that, he, that Simon goes on to answer, Pray for me to the Lord that nothing of what you said may, may come upon me. He understand that he had sinned. That he, was, that he was in the wrong and he needed to repent. And when we sit around and look around at everyone else's life around us, when we develop thoughts of envy and covetousness and jealousy over what they have, we need to repent. Because God wants us to be content with what we have, not pushing for what everyone else has around us. Again, this is a hard lesson because we live in a, in a, a richly blessed society. Right? We do. We see all around us that, that if only we had a little bit more, then we could live like this person over there or that person over there. We see it paraded before us all the time. And so I think envy and jealousy and covetousness are things we really need to watch out for in our blessed country in which we live. So we need to be very careful about that. But let's think about some ways maybe that we can actually do something about this. Because up to this moment, you probably thought, well, I mean, it's paraded before my eyes all the time. I, I know I've done it before. And you may start to think, well, I'm in big trouble. What am I going to do about this? Well, there are things we can do because we can count our blessings. Absolutely. Number one, we need to just sit down and maybe it would be helpful to actually write a list of your blessings. I know we sing the song. I know we talk about it maybe sort of in, in the abstract, but just literally in your own quiet, alone time, sit down and just start writing some of the blessings that you have. 
I like to journal every day. I write every day about what happened the previous day, and every day I write something that I'm grateful for. You know, as part of writing about the day, I'll write about something that I'm grateful for. And, and maybe it would be helpful for you to incorporate that into, into maybe a journaling practice or something, but it, at the very least, just sit down and write a list. What is it that, you, that you're happy about, that, that God has blessed you with? Because when you start to look around and you start to see all the things that God has done for you, then it really illuminates just the insignificance of those things you don't have. When the, when the list of what you want just is pale in comparison to the list of what you have in God and what he's blessed you with, I think it's easier for us to just stop comparing ourselves to other people, to stop looking around, stop standing at the window trying to be like other people. Philippians chapter 4, verses 11 to 13, Paul says, Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned that in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. It sounds a lot like some of the conversations we were having talking about Job again. How in the beginning, Job had a lot. He was blessed incredibly. But even that was a temptation for him. Even that was a difficulty for him. He needed to deal with that correctly. And Satan tried to throw all of his blessings in his face as a reason why he was, why he was serving God in the first place. And then once he was brought low and had everything taken away, he needed to see there that God is still there. And that's kind of what Paul's saying here in Philippians. No matter what scenario I'm in, whether I've been shipwrecked and I've been just adrift at sea, or whether I'm sitting enjoying a nice meal in a warm room with my friends, whatever situation I'm in, I can be happy about it. And that's hard for us to do. It's easy for us to be happy and content when things are going well. It's easy for us to be happy and content when we have everything that we want or everything that we could ever think we want. It's a lot harder for us to be content when everything has been lost or when things aren't going the way we think that they should be going. And so we need to take a cue from Paul who counted his blessings, who really looked and saw all the things that he had, all the ways that God had continued to bless him, and just use those to highlight how amazing God is and what God continues to do. And speaking of God here in fighting this whole idea of comparison, we need to embrace our purpose. We need to embrace our purpose. I love what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I love his comparison to the body here in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 14 through 20, how he's talking about the body being made up of many different members. How he's talking about how if the foot in verse 15 should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body. That would not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? And so what he's trying to get at with this weird picture of the body and eyes and ears and hands and stuff talking to each other or thinking about things independently of each other is he's saying, look, you have a function in God's church. Quit looking at what everyone else is doing around you and just do your job. 
because God needs you. If everybody did what that guy did, who you're staring at wanting to be like, well, we would never function as a body. If everybody were an eyeball, then you'd never hear anything. And the whole reason why he's saying this is to get them to see they have a function. Verse 18, but as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? We all have different functions. We all do different things. And just because you are not getting the praise and accolades like some other person is does not mean you are not useful and, and helpful in the Lord's work. I so, so, so appreciated Tom's prayer as Tom, as Tom is now standing up. Thank you, Tom. <laughs> Just thinking about how we all serve. And he highlighted ways in which we serve that aren't the traditional ways in which we think about serving. Writing a card, calling somebody up on the phone, giving somebody a kind word of encouragement, whatever it is, whatever small thing that you can do, you can do that. And you don't have to be like everyone else. You know, you don't have to know about technology and build a website to be a techno deacon like I am. You don't have to, you don't have to get up and, and have a, a master's degree in theology to stand up and teach like Sean does. You don't have to have any of those things. You don't have to do any of those things because God has called you to your purpose, not that guy's purpose. And so embrace what it is that you can do. We all have a function, and we all need the diversity of what each of us brings to the table to make a difference here. And so stop comparing yourself to other people. And I'm pointing myself with this too, because I do it all the time as well. We all just need to embrace our purpose and see that God wants something from us and he's okay with what we bring to the table. And then, I mean, maybe I could say it clearer, but let's, let's just not beat around the bush here. Mind your own business. <laughs> I know, I, I used to hear this a lot growing up. Mind your own business. We do, we need to mind our own business. It really is important for us to just keep our nose on our own face. Of course, you remember, Jesus' very pointed words there after he had been resurrected in John chapter 21, you know, we, we understand how clearly we need to stop looking around at what other people are doing and how other people are being. We just need to follow him. As Jesus said to Peter in John chapter 21, verse 20, Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who also had leaned back against him during the supper and it said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? And when Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? And Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is, it that, or what is that to you? You follow me. Now, Jesus didn't say, mind your own business, but he said, mind your own business. Mind your own business. I have, I have my purposes for him. I have my, I have my plans for John, the disciple who Jesus loved. I have my plans for him. Whatever that plan is, just keep your nose on your own face. You follow me. And we just need to do that sometimes. When we find ourselves getting off track, when we find ourselves just trying to be like everyone else around us or thinking that our life would be so much better if we were like somebody else, just mind your own business. 
mind your own business. And, and I think we would all be better off sometimes if we did that. And it's, it's that interesting dichotomy, I suppose, of just talking about our purpose and how we function in the church along with each other collectively, how we help and support each other. It's not that we're all, all islands by ourselves, right? We're not just doing this on our own. We're doing this collectively. But at the same time, we need to be very clear about our boundaries. We need to be very clear that I will work with you. I will support you. I will help you. But these are my emotions. Those are your emotions. This is my life and my resources and my purpose. That is your life and your resources and your purpose. We need to understand that, that these boundaries are very important for us to establish if we want to have contentment in this world. And then again, I think just on the positive side of it, maybe if you could say it negatively like we did, let's say it positively. Let's rejoice with others. Because yes, when you are trying to have a baby and you can't, and you get invited to, to 13 baby showers, it can be a little demoralizing. It can. But when we learn to rejoice with each other, as Paul talks about in Romans chapter 12, verse 15 and 16, rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep, live in harmony with one another, do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly, never be wise in your own sight, rejoice with each other. Rejoice with each other, be grateful and and love and celebrate each other celebrate the accomplishments of other people rejoice with them in those situations and that really does help defeat the idea of comparison and envy and jealousy when you can be happy for someone and their situation even if it's not your situation even if it's not what you have look i totally know that this is kind of a generic lesson <laughs> there's it's not like I'm giving you a couple things to go do as a result of this conversation, but the reason why this is more generic is because everybody is comparing themselves to other people in different ways. You have different things that trigger you to think about other people. You have di different things that trigger you to become envious or jealous or covetous. And whatever those things are for you, if it's a problem for you, catch yourself next time. And try some of these things on. Try some of these ways to fight off comparison. Write down your blessings. Understand what your job is and just embrace it. Mind your own business. And you know, send somebody a note. Say, I'm so happy for, for the announcement of your new baby or whatever it is, whatever it is that you're thinking about, whatever it is that, that somebody is rejoicing in, find an opportunity to rejoice with them. It's really, Comparison is the thief of joy. You can really just see how a life looking at everyone else around you just is, it sucks the fun out of things. And when we just settle into to God and his amazing blessings over us, what he's done for us, how he's loved us, how he's given us everything. I mean, can you want for anything? Really? When you just stop to, to meditate on the gift of his son? When you just stop to understand that he gave the best of heaven so that you could have eternal life with him, what is a little bit of discomfort on this earth compared to an eternal weight of glory? If you're not a child of the Lord's today, if you have lived your life separated from him, I encourage you, I, I sincerely implore you, if you're not ready right now and you just want to sit down and talk to somebody about it, 
let one of us know. Let me know. Let one of the elders know. Sean's gone, but I'm sure as soon as he comes back, he'll swoop in and help out as much as he can as well. If you want to know more about what a relationship with Jesus is like, start that journey. And if you're ready to give your life to the Lord in baptism today, then we're ready to baptize you and help you start that journey on your own. Please come forward as we stand.